Bastard Pastors. Uh, you know, I have another podcast that just won number one podcast, local podcast in Cincinnati. This is incredible. Um, I don't. That podcast isn't nearly as rich as this one. I think. I, they, I always laugh. That this is incredible. Uh, somebody paid somebody. Is that the one movies? about the movies? movies. Yeah. So when it's we introduce, so when we introduce that one, we say, yeah, Cincinnati's number one local. Yeah, which we can't say for this one. Apparently, and nobody in Cincinnati is listening to lots of like Christian podcasts. But I feel like that uh, sets our tone. Uh, anyways, we are here with Josh Rotano, um, who is the pastor at New City Presbyterian Church, and we've known you since you since you started, right? Yeah, eight years. Because we actually you and I we met you at Red Tree, right? No, Josh and I met because I would be mentored by Matt Massey. And uh, that's an old friend of mine. Yeah. At the time, you guys were talking about planning at the same time because you walked up. We were at the Panera in um, Harper's Point, hmm. and you walked out. We were there for a uh, we earlier meeting that Massey was, of course, late for. And uh, you walked up. He's like, "Oh, that's uh, that's my friend Josh. He's going to plant a church in Oakley right around the same time you guys are." I'm like, "Matt, what the hell are you doing? <laughs> why, why are you sending multiple people to Oakley? You got some So I, that was actually probably the first time you and I ever met. We did have Matt on here, and. Uh, he started. That is a bastard pastor. He right? started off uh, with a string of cuss words, like to be funny, and we're like, "Oh, so we'll put that in there." He's like, "Ha ha, guys, don't put that." In there. <laughs> <laughs> Did you put it in? I don't, I don't remember. But now you've said it again, so now. I mean, he, it was a pretty raw podcast, anyways. Because he, he, he yeah. enjoys sort of walking on the edge line. No one's listening to it, anymore. right? <laughs> we have like people from our. The one thing we did find though is that a couple new people. Like they would listen to this before they came to church on Sunday. Mm-hmm. So I still think they're talking about our story. No, no, no. I've asked them. I've asked them very so specifically because he thought they'd come on their podcast. But no, I think from stalking Jason or I as the pastors, they see the podcast and they listen. And so there's especially two couples in particular said like, "Oh yeah, we, uh, you know, that's, we knew exactly who you were when we got there, so we weren't surprised." Which, which begs the question: How many people have done the same thing and decided not to show up? <laughs> yeah. um, an interesting so we just got a tour of Josh's beautiful facility uh, you guys you got this church at a steel right yeah uh, it was a church that was uh, once a really vibrant church in the community you know 1922 was built but before that it you know it existed you know back to the 19th century they actually the Nazarene church around the same corner used to be their original building that they oh, okay. built this and um, so we had, we found in the building when we were doing the renovation, we found all these um, uh, what are the jubilee year celebrations, oh. their 50 year celebration. And they had this kind of yearbook and it was really interesting and fun to read. Like at one point it was a church of 800 plus wow. people. They planted two churches. They planted the uh, church in Oakley actually that's uh, 56th Avenue that's now a house. Oh, oh yeah, yeah. Where they filmed the Bob Davis. Yeah, yeah, that place is beautiful. Now. So they planted that church. They also planted a church in the East End which I think doesn't exist anymore. But they had all these great descriptions of like their community life. They had a, like a like an old school baseball team that they oh, called, wow. called the Presbys and, and like all the the, the uh the names of the players sounded like old timey baseball players, you know, and uh, but they, they would describe, you know, their their heroics, you know. <laughs> and then awesome. they would do uh, the other things in there that I thought were so cool is uh, and this made me want to live in the early part of the twentieth century, but uh, they the way they would have their picnic, they would be like somewhere way out in Claremont County, but they, like a train would just roll up and they'd all after church like pile into the train cars and just take the train out to uh, the whole like the whole church would get on the, the box car. So that's actually 
I read a really good book on the history of Cincinnati, like Coney Island got started that way, where you would have to catch a riverboat ferry from downtown to Coney Island. Nobody, there was no transportation. Because it's what, 20 miles. Kind of like a cool destination. Yeah, and so like, and then and then they went through the, the description of how like the city grew up, and so you everybody lived downtown, and as you got richer, you moved up the hills. So you yeah. moved up to Clifton, you moved up the Mount Island, you would get above the <laughs> smoke and the dim, but... But at the top of all those places were resorts. So Clifton had a resort at the top oh, of yeah. it. So did but, uh, I, still, I still had one uh, uh, places to escape to. Well, and that's uh, what I love about these older buildings here is that there is little to no parking because you were, it was a neighborhood church. You walked yep. to it. So yep. the idea of, And that fits us. That uh, yeah. well. And I know you guys have that philosophy too, yeah. but we're very much a parish church. And we kind of, when we started eight years ago or whatever, you know, we drew like a three mile radius around Oakley Square and we said, you know, wherever we sort of land for a location, we want, it has to be in that circle. Mm-hmm. And not that we throw the walls up if somebody wants to come from further out, but we definitely tell people, we're going to be a better church to you if you're here. Our community groups are going to be focused here. Um, you know, sort of our main mission involvement is going to happen here. Um, How far does three miles go? Um, so it's it's Oakley, Madisonville, Pleasant Ridge, Norwood. Hyde Park and Mount Lookout. Really. Um, so three miles from my house is where Ridge crosses Montgomery Road and Pleasant Ridge. Oh, gotcha. It's exactly a three mile. It's like a three mile run. Um, and so okay. still, eighty five percent of our people come from that structure. Um, that's awesome. I mean, that's yeah, that's sort of our too. Hey, I have a question for you, and I know this is like way late in the game to ask these questions, but we're just now starting to process them. Do you guys have like a mission statement? We do. <clears throat> it's really wordy. Uh, so we are, we have a tagline that's probably like, if people know anything, right. it's that. It's you know celebrating Christ serving Cincinnati, which right. really tries to sum up what we're doing. And, but then, so that's kind of our, I guess we kind of delineated vision. That's sort of the big vision. Right. And then the mission statement, I guess, is trying to, we say, you know, connecting people to God, to community, and to mission. Right. And that really has been something that's been useful for us because when we, like, if there's an event proposed or, you know, anything that takes time, effort, service hours, mm-hmm. money, we try to say, is it doing one of those things, right. you know, connecting people to God, to, to community and, or, or to mission and, and, and to community, we mean the community of the, the church to mission. We think about the neighborhood. Right. That's just a way of delineating right. it. But, um, that's been helpful for us to, to try to stay a little bit more narrow because right. there's so many options of yeah. things to do. Right. Well, so we just did a, we just paid somebody a lot of money. Not a lot. Not no, a lot. It's actually, we got a really good value, but like it's uh, the former pastor of um, VCC, uh, Dave Workman. Yeah. <laughs> and so he's got a church, um, like an audit sort of company, like a way to do some church consulting on where the church does most of the work and then they look at your work and get some recommendations. And he's doing it for smaller churches, not Yeah, they really want to think because like the vineyard could drop fifty thousand dollars into a consultancy right. service, whereas your church can, my church can't. Right. And but what some of the things they came back to us, the first thing they said is, "You guys have never had a mission statement." And so we've been, we've been because we have a, actually. So this podcast will go up on Monday. We are going to announce on Sunday that we're going to move into a new building. Some hopefully in the next six weeks. And so his point was, if you spoiler have, alert, <laughs> it should be out by by Sunday afternoon. But. Um, he said, if you guys had a mission statement, you would know how to make this decision. Right now, you're just stabbing in the dark at this because you don't know. Yeah, I mean, what's interesting is I think everybody on our leadership team, probably at our church, has a very clear idea of what our church should be doing. And if you drew a Venn diagram around them, it'd be very, very, there are lots of overlap. Yeah. 
but I really got their sort of nuances. And I've been I've been trying to think a lot about um, like mission statements as narratives. Like what story is Legend Community Church trying to tell mm-hmm. in the community, which is exactly what you just talked about. Uh, well, one benefit maybe to doing it now is that you can actually craft a mission statement that actually says what you're about rather right. than just what you long to be, which I think there's maybe benefit in both, but right. the mission statement that I just told you, I think is still true of us. We have core values that we sort of crafted at the beginning, and I think those need a refresher for us because mm-hmm. it's not that there are things that we don't believe in, but like, right. what are we good at? I don't know that those necessarily yeah, yeah. express that anymore. Right. So I, I think we're due for maybe to freshen that up a little bit. Like right. even some of the language, like I think one of the things we said was authentic community. I think probably more what we mean is like thick community, like where people are spending a lot of time together, right. you know, between, between Sundays, uh, you know, know and be known and all that kind of stuff. But I think authentic, I don't know what I meant. It sounds kind of breathless and right. maybe, maybe vague. It was a cool word back then. I guess it was. Yeah. Transparent, um, authentic, all these kind of things. But I think probably if, People, when they come to New City, there's things that they would say, oh, this is what I observe here that probably aren't in our core values, but that probably should be, like, because they've obviously become important to us. And then there are other things that we would probably aspire to, but we're not doing. So either we should, to be honest, we should probably either take it out of our core values until we do, or get on it. Yeah, Yeah, it's funny because I feel like we're in the similar boat like that just without it ever being written down like there's some things I think we should adjust like our our one of the things we've been talking about lately is our community is very cool and close but has it become an idol in and of itself like and has it become very close to new like one of the um when he came he came to our church there was day workman and then like he sent like spies and everyone had really good like secret shoppers yeah uh Everyone had really good things to say, but I also, think I'd be really good at that. By the way. <laughs> I, I, like, there's not many other things I can do besides this job. So if I ever lose this job, I'm in trouble. But I think maybe like secret secret shopper secret in general, shopper. but church secret shopper. I think yeah. I'd be quite good at. So I, if, well, keep, keep me in mind. It's just like the highest. List. In education, you always knew that the the goal the goal of making a lot of money in education was not to teach. It was to go be an education educational consultant, right? It takes you out of all of the right. work on the street on the on the ground level. I was joking. I sold my business for profit. I should be a business consultant now. <laughs> well, you guys, that's not, I mean, I don't know if this is where you want to go with this conversation. Oh, but I think that's a, a big problem in the church right now too. I'm, no offense to Dave Workman or whatever, because sure. he's older, he's done it. But there's a lot of young guys that are you know they've been only doing it for six, eight, ten years that yeah. feel like. All right, I should graduate into something like like there's a ladder to climb, and they don't see being a pastor as this is what you do for your life. Right. That's been our experience with the amount of, and we told the story. You probably heard us tell the story. People that we were going through early church planning phases with that bailed on after a couple of years because they realized, oh, this is just a slow grind for the rest of your life. Like this is the gig. The gig was never going to be you speaking at Catalyst every week. Well, and, well, and I think there is benefit to people like. The consultants, but they ought to be people like Dave Workman, who's you know, been seasoned, retired. Yeah, so. and I don't want the. I just don't. I'm not. We've seen enough flameouts, right? And right. especially in my little tribe and circles of the world, we've seen so much of this. Like anymore, I don't want to know how big the church is. I don't want to like who's got the flashiest, fastest growth right. or whatever. What I want to see is like, do your adult kids still like you? 
Yeah. Do you, maybe not even if whether they're Christians or not. It's just do they do they like mm-hmm. do they have a positive view of you mm-hmm. and the church that you created? Uh, are you do you have like multi-decade relationships with friends, like people who've seen you across the spectrum? Mm-hmm. And like, did you not have a like a major scandal? Like, if you can get right. those are the three things. Those are the guys I want to hear about at yeah. like, conferences or just in general. Right. Like, speaking in my life. I only, I I totally agree, and that's I feel like the more I just meet new, more pastors, the people who have stuck through it. It's, and we seem to get along more with the older churches and the older pastors. Like, I like to hear their stories and they like the energy that we have. And, but a lot of, for instance, uh, Judy, we've been talking to, there's a couple like newer churches and she's like, excuse my language, but they're just punks. <laughs> and like, uh, because they're rude to her, or they're just you know they're in it for some sort of weird like well, people game. Or, people that want meet, like we say, hey, we're gonna get all the churches to put together. The passion, just talk. Maybe do some long range. What is it going to do together? Well, what do we get out of it? What I don't understand the question. And so um, we actually ran into that right when we started at Legend. We were going to a couple of like church planning gatherings in the city, and it was all our twenty four year olds mm-hmm. who were busy telling everybody else exactly how they should run their churches, but they didn't have churches yet. Like there were guys like, well, we wouldn't tolerate that person being in our church. Yes, you would, because for your first five years, you'd be desperate for anybody to be there. Um, or just, I, I feel like some people were, I think there were some cool church trends, and just because of the type of church we had, it, it, it didn't apply to us. Like, there was a lot of stuff about, you know, being good husbands and being men, you know, and I was like, that's cool. The one compliment we ever had from our church is people who had really bad fathers like hey there's a lot of really good fathers in this church I'm like yeah I was like that's cool I don't need to hear about that all the time I was like I need to you know some other things that we probably need but um but regards to that the uh you said something that oh hey what about this is another thing I've been on because I'm trying to redo ours um do you feel like small groups because uh, I saw you have a board in there where you had them all marked. Mm-hmm. How many do you guys have? It's a good question because we're about ready to. So our our community groups um, <clears throat> they run during the academic year. So like basically September to December, and then they take the month of January off because we do another kind of we do more of classes in January, mm-hmm. and then they run February to May. And uh, we one thing we've always done from the beginning is every group's an open group. Um, so we don't have like closed groups that meet for, you know, we're the same group that right. we meet for That's seven years or 10 years or whatever. Uh, and every September, like they're all, when they launch, they're all brand new. And what we found is having that on-ramp because a lot of new people are looking for churches around yeah. the time. It feels like, oh, there's, you know, we have, I think this year it'll be 15, 16 groups and, um, different nights of the week and right. different formats. Like some of them have lots of small kids. Some of them have, it's mainly singles and they don't have any kids. And um, so the sizes vary because of that and all that. But we found that having a, an on-ramp and an off-ramp really helps people commit. Yeah. Uh, so our participation really went up as soon as we said, like, no, they're going to shut down every summer. They just have yeah. to. Like, And yeah. also leaders are more willing to lead because of... Yeah, you know, well, we're basically about to steal that idea <clears throat> because that's sort of what we're switching to. We've had, um, we started a small group mm-hmm. and we returned to two small groups. And we got to, I think at our, at our apex, we were at like eight, mm-hmm. but it was the assumption that, well, here you are. And 
for the rest of your life. For the rest yeah, of your life. Right, right. And so you're either stuck with people that, you know, and, and there's always people that don't agree. And I think in some ways it was good for people to be like, okay, I still have to be in community with someone I don't particularly like. But then the idea, okay, I don't have to do this forever. And, well, and the, um, and the hard part is people love it. Like, yeah. when you really, like, I've been in the same group with these folks before. And yeah. it's really valuable in one sense. In another sense, though, it's not that hospitable, you know, if it's like right, people have right. been. I'm not saying your groups aren't. Sure, no, no. but but yeah, in general, no, the new people don't want to go meet with people that've been together for six years. Exactly, and and then also there's a lot. A lot of times it collects people who should probably be shepherding other people, right. leading other people, but they're already in a group and they've got a leader. Right. And so by making them end and restart, like a lot of times there is continuity between a group that finishes in May and group right. that restarts. But it's still by even saying they're all new, like it changes the composition yeah. a little right. bit. Yeah, I, I, I'm excited because we're doing uh, basically six weeks. We're going to have six weeks groups in the uh, fall, and then we're going to do six weeks in the spring. Mm-hmm. and then take summer off. I think it's, we're going to start with that see how it goes. But it'll be a big change for us for just because we've never done it. And I, I just kept hitting the wall with them lasting or being good. or and So I feel like this will be a good change. But And, and, and it's nothing new, but it's like a big deal for us. And, and for us, the, their main function really is building friendship and a place to catch newcomers. Like, um, they're not, our groups at least, are not, each group has a little bit different flavor, but just right. because there's so many kids around and that kind of stuff, they're not like these really deep theological discussions. Yeah, right. Well, that's what, yeah. That's and So we write, Brian and I write, uh, like discussion guides just based on not based on the sermon but based on whatever the text the sermon was based on mm-hmm. so we don't assume that you were there to hear the sermon but if you did you have a lot more to say probably you know yeah. um, but we just ask you know five six questions based on whatever the passage you know this week it'd be Matthew 24 you know just five or six questions about that and then some suggestions about how to pray after you know yeah. you know if you broke up in small groups and prayer yeah. or whatever but yeah we're, we're doing so ours will be so I let Based on actually the last podcast we did, was with, do you know Jane Gerson? No, she was from the Episcopal Church. Oh no, I don't know. Um, she's really. You should, I bet you do. I bet you do. I don't know. She, she does. Her job is just to float and find faith communities and yeah. report back to the Episcopal Church what she's seen. It's the coolest job. <laughs> and, uh, I could do that too. Yeah, I know. Secret job or different. Um, Coming for you, Jane. But one of the things that she said that I really liked was uh, it seems that most people, when they go to small groups, are looking to receive. Like, they want to get. Mm-hmm. And she's like, when it comes to having a leader, you need someone who's already received, and that's what they're looking to give out, to give back. So they don't need that. And So I kind of base everything on that, but I let those people pick what they want to. So we're going to advertise those topics. Here are these six topics. So we have one person, one couple's doing a uh, marriage thing. One couple's just doing like a book of the Bible. Mm-hmm. Uh, one couple's doing something on worship. It's our worship leader, so he wants to do that. And then Todd and Randall came back, and they found for the exact six-week period that we're starting, they found a Tuesday night kickball league oh, that goes at Oakley Field. So they're doing, uh, they're going to do, you have to pay to be in this, so you pay 25 bucks, but they're doing a kickball small group. And so, uh, no, I want to do that. I don't have time because... All my kids and their sports. Yeah. <laughs> um, sports and Cub Scouts are really taking my fall away from me. Um, but so I, I'm excited to see how it goes. And you know, I'm. Can I ask a question? Yeah. What do you guys do for, or even think about? We've never had, and I don't plan to, have um, like adult Sunday school or anything like that. 
Um, but is there because our because our groups don't aren't really about theological formation or more right. about I mean hopefully that's happening yeah, somewhere sure. but it's not about you know connecting with God to, to, to community to mission it's more about connecting to community um, is there an alternative way to do you know what traditionally Sunday school had done uh, for people but without so we just using... started we just did our first I always wanted to do theology on tap sort of ideas mm-hmm. and I watched them I watched them all play out I think it Oh, since I was playing a copy. <laughs> I was trying to be cool, but... <laughs> um, I watched them all play out really poorly. Like, everyone I saw, I didn't like. The one I saw that was big was at Ryan Malone's in Pleasant Ridge, and I watched this church come in and displace all the people that that was their sort of normal community hanging out, like the normal folks at the bar. I see. Got shoved out because so many people from the church came. I was like, well, that's not good. And so I got hung up on not seeing it done well, and we just decided one of my big goals lately is to stop letting the perfect be the enemy the good. Let's just try this and see what happens. And so we did it at the, we, we started at the Casual Pint, did three weeks on a theology of the Bible. Like a more particular, like, this isn't here to discuss how you feel about things, because we don't, this is actually purely about teaching. Mm. And people, we had like, it started with like, hey, seven people showed up the first week, and last week, 18 people showed up. So we had really like, over, it was over three weeks, so I think we're going to do that inside of this small groups process mm. to say, if you're really into that, like my wife's an example, somebody who's not into sort of like heading Well, and I think also is, uh, you know, I was been in charge of small groups and my big thing is community and eating together. And, and I think that's what you're getting from those. And so I, we did have people who were like, especially some people like, Hey, I don't, I don't need to make new friends. I don't want to sit down and pray together. Not that that's, Good, but that's that's not what I need. I have that. I need, you know, I want something really like to sink my teeth into. Yeah. So, so we've talked talking. about doing if we move into this new building. We've talked about doing like a Sunday school hour. We did it once. We did a Dead Sea. We did classes. Class. We've done classes on Sunday, but our it sounds like what you do in between your smokers. Yeah. yeah, our current space is so bad that it was, just, it was a disaster trying to make that work. Yeah, we struggle with that a lot. It, it, I mean, there there are good things about being a mobile church. One yeah. of the hard things is it just limits your yep. creativity right. oh, yeah. and what you might want to offer. So, okay, so that, that's helpful. Um, I don't know that it's the right solution. I'm still struggling with it. I want to do... Sorry, uh, I was just going to say, we're, we're trying to address it because we, we find, in addition to our preaching, in addition to our you know community groups, we still... Uh, there's just... I mean, and, and maybe it's... The, generational or maybe it's just the state of thing just in some ways it's good you come to the bible fresh but in some ways it's bad that there we there's there's a need for some um some some formation of of even just a biblical background what's interesting for us is in this context we've actually had people i I call it sort of this there's this idea that floats around especially protestant churches of there's like there's something i still need to know i need to whenever somebody comes and says I don't like this because it doesn't go deep enough. It's not deep enough for me. What they really, they're really sort of addicted to this idea of maybe there's something hidden in the Greek. That, that there's, where it becomes this sort of weird Gnosticism where you as the church are the keeper of secret knowledge. And whenever somebody tells me, well, I just wish we could go deeper. Well, then go out and serve somebody. Like the end of the day, when it could none of, none of it never has somebody come to me and say, oh, I wish we could go deeper. And then I see them at our community dinner. 
I see them out working with the poor. I see them babysitting for single moms. Well, yeah, I that one girl. She was like, well, I feel like, because I feel like our sermons are not very seeker friendly, but maybe they are, because she was like, well, I feel like you just tell stories the whole time. And I was like, I was like, what do you want? She's like, I think we should just go deeper. And I was like, well, remember Jesus? I was like, what about love your neighbor as yourself? I was like, I think that's one of the most profound things in scripture. And I think it's the, or love your enemy. Either the one of those things, I think the hardest things for us to do. And we do it, all of us get it wrong all the time. I was like, you could spend the rest of your life just processing that thing. And still like, I was like, how much deeper do you go than that? Like, I know that, but I think they're right. They want There's this a lot of texts, a lot of things. And I'm like, this, but I mean, I know that's very Richard Rohr. Well, I, I think you're right. I mean, I think you're on something there for sure. Um, I guess what I'm, what I'm, what I'm thinking of is I'm thinking of a number of conversations that I've, I've had, you know, after the fact uh, with people and they'll say, well, I just, it never came up on Sunday morning, so I didn't. I didn't know the Bible says that, or I don't know how to. You're giving us these Bible reading plans, but I, I don't understand right. it when yeah. I when I get there. And so I'm um, I'm thinking less about you know what I think you're rightly calling out as as right. a, a dodge on just sort of living what you actually know. Right. But like but, basic hermeneutics, people need to know. Well, and just a, a flat out. Uh, and this is no. Some of it's just people didn't grow up in the church, so you, right. you don't know. Anything about yeah. yeah, we have a girl because one of the guys who leads a lot of Bible study for us, he's real simple. He went to like, a, he went to just a college where the, the campus ministry, hey, we're going to read through a book of the Bible, everyone read this chapter, and they read it out loud. Okay, what are your thoughts? And people would just throw their thoughts, which just seems pretty easy. But we had a couple people who went to that and they're like, I hate it. They're like, he kept asking me, what do you think of that? And she's like, I don't know what I think of that. I've never even heard of this before. Why would I even have a thought? And I was like, oh, I never. We had the same problem that one of our small groups fell apart because people in the small group were just like, well, we're not going to do any reading. We're not reading anything, we're not studying anything. Cool, well, you just made a priority, right? Like, you just made a decision about how important this is. And you've, you've said that, that you, you sort of devalue this. Well, of course you can't get anything out of that. And but I know what you're saying. Like, I, I think there is a need for that even in our church. And I think that's what Jason's doing on Sundays. And even when I just went through this long narrative, like, I went through, it was the most Bible sermon I've ever given because it was literally 100% Bible. I just went through the entire narrative. And I had more people come up to me after these sermons and say, is that really in there? Uh, how does God even, how, why would God do this? Why would God do that? Like, it was like, oh, man, these are things I thought about, you know, 15 or 20 years ago. And I'm still processing now, but, like, I, I, I thought it was fun. I was like, oh, just telling the story brought up more questions than my exposition probably ever would have if I would have cut it down into a little bit. I, so, I was so irritated because I feel the need to interpret and control and Justin just got up and told the story and then let the story sit and let people do whatever they wanted to with the story and people were all of a sudden serving on Facebook. I was like, what the? <laughs> I, was so, I was so mad. On week six, I had spent at least 15 of the minutes with, okay, this is what I think about everything we just went through. But you had to wait to week six. Yeah. I think it's fun. Jason's not geared that way. He's like, we got to have some application right now. Uh, but I, and I thought about when you got back to say, oh, hey, you want to do one? But I was like, that would be weird to step into, especially because of the flow. But it was, it was really interesting to be like, you know, why did, how come the Ark of the Covenant got itself out of every city and then stopped doing that? How, why does God murder children? Why does, yeah, you know, why is David such a horrible person, but he's the good one, and Saul 
didn't do much wrong, he's the bad one. So you're you're a fairly theological thinker, though, right? Like you like you're the more systematic theology generally your approach to stuff. Like I don't uh, mean that as an insult. Like that seems to me that what I'm imagining is that Justin says those things, your brain is immediately going, whoa, 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 this, this. Like the need to sort yeah. of interpret, play with this theologically as like a more systematic approach to that. Yeah, maybe. I mean, I but my preaching style is is to just sort of go through text, you know, mm-hmm. over, over time. And uh, But yeah, I mean, I probably end up more like you. Do you do lectionary? We don't. Uh, Did we, you have one we, time? No, we do. We do order our our year uh, around liturgical seasons, and our worship really takes on the flavor of that. Mm-hmm. And then we do in our bulletin every week. We have readings and prayers for the week, oh, and that's nice. lectionary. And so like we have that. that for Brian works on that every week. So all the scriptures are there for each day, Monday you know, through yeah. the next Sunday, and then he comes up with just a you know, one sentence prayer for each day as yeah. well. That's all lectionary stuff. But we do, I really work hard to craft the sermon series to fit into. So, so for example, uh, in the fall, we're gonna, we're, this year, kind of our main thing is going to be First Corinthians. Um, so the fall is kind of ordinary time. So we're going to hit the big part of First Corinthians. First Corinthians 1 through 10, you know, in the fall. And we'll stop and do an Advent series. Mm-hmm. And we're doing a series on prayer and kind of the Epiphany series. Then we've been working our way through Matthew forever it seems but we're in our so in in lent next year will be our 12th and final series in matthew and we'll just pick up the passion narrative so it'll flow right from lent then at oh and at thanksgiving around there we will do 10 and 11 first corinthians Mm -hmm. around feasting and communions and all that but then uh in easter tide so easter sunday on we'll do just first corinthians 15 for five or six weeks yeah, at least Anglican folks say it that way. But and then Pentecost will pick up, so we're a little bit out of sequence, like a Christopher Nolan movie. But uh, <laughs> then we'll come back to First Corinthians twelve to fourteen, which is about the Spirit mm-hmm. and, and the gifts and, and so on. So we'll do that. So we're really just I preaching through First Corinthians, but I try to arrange it yeah. so it fits. The I guess we do that. We but, we do Advent, so we arrange all of our Sunday series to make sure this one's going to end at Advent, so that we can do an Advent one, and then we do a Lent one. And then we kind of hedge on Pentecost. Pentecost is like then, one day, we do a Pentecost season. And then summertime's always for fun. Like, let's experiment with our sermons. Like, the one that's, like, let's have fun with the summer kids. Most people won't be here anyways. And, um, and but yeah, I guess we do that. But I, that was all new to me. Like, I, you know, being Church of Christ, you know, I, I knew, I, all I, I knew Advent was, like, evil. Advent and Lent, like, we, we don't have to do that because we believe Jesus really got for us. So whatever they told us to say. It's, you know... You can go, like, you know, Luther's drunk on a horse, right? You can fall off either side. either side. And I think there are some people, I think, who really think, like, certain times are sacred and certain times are not sacred in, in such a way that it it really can be an unhealthy right. thing. On the other hand, as a pedagogical tool, yeah, it seems really healthy to be able to think of, like, all right, like, the church set this up so, that, you know, a long time ago so that you could walk through a story every year and just knowing that rhythms we do it for other things right like we we eat certain foods in the fall we love you know we sing certain songs at christmas time we you know we all have our traditions and things and just makes sense that the church would cook those in and if you can and i think uh like you said about the way we learn we're not just brains on a stick you know there's more to us than that and i think part of theological formation happens through what we do, the traditions we keep. Right. And I think if we can lean into that, mm-hmm. that helps people 
That, that is one of the benefits of the, of, of the more high church yeah. churches, I think. Oh, yeah, I know. And uh, there's, a, there's a book by um, James K. Smith. James Smith, he's a uh, professor, philosophy professor at Calvin College up in Michigan. But he's written a number of academic books. They just had a, a popular one that's summarizing, but it's, it's basically, it's just called You Are What You Love. Mm-hmm. And he's saying we've approached discipleship with the anthropology, really starting with boomers, that that we are what we think. Mm-hmm. And he's basically already, that's not who we are as a, as a person. And our affections, you know, affect what, you know, what, what we, what we believe, what we do, mm-hmm. what we pursue, you know, kind of that August mm-hmm. loves, disordered loves kind of thing. And so he argues for discipleship with yes, content and learning, but also building in these traditions, um, Sort of even a way of doing worship that affects right. more of who you are than just your brain. Which, right, that's, I mean, yeah. a girl came up to Jason, uh, someone who like, was awesome at our church, and she was like, Hey, I'd love to know what the Bible has to say about abortion and homosexuality. And Jason goes, No, you don't. <laughs> and she goes, What do you mean? He goes, Well, if I told you that it disagreed with everything you think, will you, will that change you? And she's like, No, it probably won't change anything. He goes, Well, then, then you don't really want to know what the Bible say. You don't care because it's not, uh, it's not, and I, I take that to like a love of scriptures, a love of God, like that, okay, I'm going to change my thinking to what it means. Well, and I think a lot about like, so all the like tools like the calendar year, the church calendar, those kind of things, those are all tools that exist for a pre-literate culture, right? Those are tools that exist for a culture where 90% of people can't read. In a post-literate culture now, we've got a culture where 90% of people just don't read. They could, but they choose not to. So how, I think things like liturgical calendars, I see them, friends of mine from the Church of Christ, friends of mine from the very thoroughly modern, evangelical, Western American style of churches are finding value in those things now because they teach in a way that doesn't involve you having a set diet of prayer and Bible study every day. There's more to learning than just that, those two disciplines and so, the, like you said, the calendar enacts, enables the church to enact the story on a regular basis. And well, and even prayer and Bible study can take on new life if you can orient them around yeah. and those things, too. Because I'm, I'm pro prayer and Bible study. <laughs> <laughs> I, mean, I want to go on record. For <laughs> all those listeners out there, Joshua Tyler is pro. But I remember being, I remember when I was in the vineyard, and we, because I come from Presbyterian Church where they had prayers up for us on the screen that we would read together as a church. And I remember saying, no, I'll pray my own prayers. I don't need your prayer. These are, this is between me and God, these kind of things. And I remember going to the vineyard, and we never did that. And then all of a sudden, like, that, that particular way of thinking was so individualistic and so disconnected from community. And then I was reading these books. And it takes, especially early Catholic stuff, it takes a significant amount of your mental energy and dexterity to come up with what to pray. Why would you spit in the face of people that have done that for done that work for you? These people have stood the test of time of the church and are offering their wisdom to you that you can pray this prayer and then process that in an entirely different way than the mental exercise of making right. up the prayers you go. And it's like, oh and it expands your range too, right? Yeah. Because if if you lean into the prayers of others with the Psalms are like that too, right? right? Praying the Psalms is beautiful because it's like, oh, I never would have thought to pray for that. Yeah, that's right. But there's a passage in um uh, C.S. Lewis's uh, letters to Malcolm, uh, chiefly on prayer, where he talks about the beauty of um, Malcolm says essentially the same thing. You know, the, his 
fictional Malcolm or whatever says the same thing that you said about your feeling initially about like I want to pray my own prayers yeah. and those kind of things it feels so old and stodgy or whatever and Lewis argues back to say that you know if um, every prayer is spontaneous certainly there should be spontaneous prayers but if there are if every prayer is spontaneous Lewis said he could never really worship because he would be in his mind sort of cycling through like do I agree with that like if everybody just stood up and prayed whatever like am I really assenting to this or not maybe he's a particular kind of personality that right? would do no, that but he said like by having you know a trust in, in the clergy of his church but then also just the, the process like it allowed him to fully assent you know to the prayers without having to run it through mm-hmm. the grid every, yeah. every moment you know um, well, I really, I really, there's a lot of value for me I came out of a messy denomination that wasn't healthy. And so there's a lot of value for me in being an independent church that doesn't have that national or international or bureaucratic body over top of us. But then there's things like like that that I miss, things of like the traditions of the church. The to be able to I'll write to your church would regularly stand up and say, standing in the tradition of John Cowell. Now they probably weren't. <laughs> but but to be able to point back to something five hundred years old or four hundred years old or three hundred years old is really, really powerful. When I think the trick is, for me, when I went to the Presbyterian Church with you, I remember like laughing one time. I was like, "What are all these scarves for? Like robes that they have all these colors?" And he was like, "No, man, every single one of those colors means something." I was like, and I was like mind blown. Like, oh, that's awesome. Or like scarves. When the, when that's what the, they call them. Because I remind me Harry Potter. Right? That, that was like, helpful. That's exactly what it does. And like, or like, uh, they always had someone walk in with a light and the Bible, and I was like, ugh, what's this? And he's like, oh, it's the light of the world in turn. I'm like, oh, well, why aren't they telling these why stories? But then again, your energies take it every week for people, or like, so I think that's the other thing, is learning the meaning behind things. And so one of the things we've been trying to figure out lately is whether we like it or not, we have a liturgy, uh, or not that we don't like it, but is it thought out? It's what are we really doing? Is it intentional? Because... When Jason organizes a worship service, he's going through, uh, you know, what Presbyterians do, like uh, the the songs for repentance and the songs for, I don't know the things. But uh, uh, but there's that liturgy, and but then Monty, our worship leader, who was raw and awesome and amazing, uh, he didn't come from that, so he's just, this song is going to be good here. And uh, so we're trying to, like N.T. Wright was talking about, what narrative is your... Well, you're like, uh, you, you just went to a Catholic Mass a couple weeks ago and really struggled. It was, it, was a, it was a funeral mass, and I was like... But if you're educated... I was trying really hard. Really but if you're really educated in the symbols and the meanings of each over that liturgy, it carries with it a whole like realm and thousands of years of meaning right. and beauty, but you have to work to get there. Like It's not something you can dip into having never walked well, through. I could not focus on the immensity of this. It was in St. Peter and Chains. It was oh, very yeah. beautiful. Yeah. But at the same time, like, is this what we want? And right after this uh, sermon series, I'm like... Is this the temple that we just built? Is this my, and then I'm like, no, this is beautiful and great. And the irony is, I can go. I could probably go to a Quaker service, or like, I could probably go to one of my friends' like hippie, whatever's, and find the spirituality and be like, oh yeah, I can feel you know God working here, or whatever. But in that one, I had to really like rearrange my whole brain to be like, okay, this, and I'd look at the priest and be like. And we worked it out so that Justin went to the mass and then I went to the wake. Oh, I know. The wake was at an Irish bar. Like, hey, I just yeah. whiskey and beer. And like, this, this is the best day I've ever had. But I, I grew up Roman Catholic. So I spent the first 18, 20 years of my life, you know, participant. Although we were sort of on again, off again. But um, one of the things, so when I was a missionary in, in Europe for a while, 
and when we visit another city or whatever, like it was nice to be able to go to a, even though I was pro- theologically Protestant by that point, I could still go to a Catholic church in Belgium, let's say, and even though it was in a different language, I, I knew what was going on because I had learned the rhythms, yeah. you know, and so I could, uh, even though I didn't know all, everything, you know, I had the homily, I didn't know, but that's only eight or nine minutes anyway yeah. in a Catholic church, but the, the rest of the night, I pretty much knew, and um, so there is some, something to that about, yeah. you know, building that rhythm right. and part. I, it was, I had this long, it was probably five minutes by myself, I went to go light a candle for someone, I was like, oh, it's cool, we light a couple candles, and I saw you had to pay for it, I'm like, I'm not paying for this prayer, blah, blah, and then I'm like, then I walk away, I'm like, ah, I should probably pay for it, because that's respect, this is what they do for their, and I'm like, I, and I walk back, I'm like, no, I'm not paying for it, I'm like, then I look at my pocket, I two dollars, $2. You, almost, you almost had your your own personal reformation. I know. I was like going back and forth like, I'm not paying for this because it's dumb. If you would have written a note and posted it on yeah. there, it would have been just the yeah. same thing. And 500 <laughs> years even. <laughs> 500 years. I, yesterday, I was on a, like, a super long bike ride there. I sort of bored. I was like, oh, is this the 500th year? So I was, I was toying around with what, what would my 95 theses be? Like, could I, could I in... 95 theses of calling the church to this is what the church is supposed to be, what it's supposed to look like. And Could you make up 95 right now? I think 95 would be hard because the churches are split. Like churches, I would, the churches are fractured. I, that's what I actually split through. I was like, oh, what if it's of 95 theses, which is just 95 sort of gripes about an internal community. And since I don't have a denomination to, to rail against, that would be odd. But I was trying to come up with what my five souls be. So like the uh-huh. five souls of the Reformation. And then because I, I was listening to somebody talk about them, the writing, I was like, oh, I think... I think I'm still down with all five of the solas. I think the sola scriptura one has become something it probably Luther didn't mean it to be in some places. Um, but we certainly, like, that's that's where we go to for text and for teaching. And so uh, there's nothing in the five solas that I disagree with. Do you know what I'm talking about? Yeah. Uh, but it was just the, 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 was it Luther with the solas or was it somebody? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Faster. But it's just this idea these are the things that the church yeah. is built on or the church stands on. And I was like, oh, there's nothing in here I disagree with. There's nothing in here that I what's it look like to celebrate these in a good way? And, um, yeah, my seminary liked Alexander Campbell a lot. That's right. But I couldn't take anything he said. I just know his name. And <laughs> Rackham, John, yeah, that's the Restoration Movement like leader. So the church B. Barton Stone and Alexander Campbell and Raccoon John Smith. But for, his name was Raccoon? <laughs> I think they attribute that to him. I'm like, how do I get an, how do I get an animal attached to my name? But the, oh, I, from now on, if I ever refer to either of you guys, it's going to be with names like that. Raccoon, <laughs> Justin you know, Dunn. Justin Dunn and Warthog Jason. Warthog. First thing that came to my mind. That's it. There's the <laughs> You mean the Warthog and Raccoon? No. no those guys are all good next Presbyterians. The Church of Christ mm-hmm. guy, those are all guys. Well, so, Finney in this Second Great Awakening, right, was a Presbyterian, deviated from yeah. traditional Presbyterian. You know, well, you look, at, you look at so much of American, what yeah. American churches ended up at is it was dudes who were on the American frontier, faithfully leading churches the best they could, but so far out from their denomination that, that they couldn't. Right, so geographic separation. Geogra- and so they just slowly, like, and I don't think with any sort of, like, misintent or any, like, bad goals, but slowly drifted away from the mm-hmm. church in this example towards this like a much more strict but then they had well in some ways though Fenny and I don't want to pick on just him but I think he my guess is you guys would really not like him because uh, you know Fenny believed you could program everything right like you could program like his manual for revival was like if you do X you will get Y 
you know, and so it, it was, it was, well, maybe sociologically, yeah, right? right. Like, that's what I mean. and, and, and I know I've heard some of y'all's, you know, uh, critique of, you know, sort of the megachurch or celebrity pastor mm-hmm. movement and those kind yeah. of things. I think that's fake, yeah, you know, in, a, right. in a lot of ways. And it's that, that it's troubling to me. You right. Know? Um, and one, because it, it takes some of the, it, it well, one, the organic nature out of it too, but but really the, the supernatural aspect of, mm-hmm. of the movement of the spirit, but also it does feel like controlling God and it right. feels like controlling people, yeah. um, which or, is very I mean, the way that I used to think about it, the, like my particular experience at Presbyterian Church was they never expected the Holy Spirit to show up. Mm-hmm. And so they had... Frozen a, chosen, right? Right, but they had a very regimented agenda process that said we have to do all this because God's not going to show up and tell us what to do there. But and there was never, I kind of from the Vineyard movement at the time, there was never a moment where we stopped and said, "Holy Spirit, what should we do?" And then we wait and listen. Like it just never would happen in the Presbyterian Church because they really, whether they believed it or not theologically, they believed it in their actions. Said that that age of the church is done, so we're just going to left on our own to do the best we can. Which is why I think they're struggling, right? That there's, it, like you said, it takes that. It takes that that supernatural or the God element out, and it just makes it a how well a program can you run. Mm-hmm. Well, it's amazing how much of my faith journey is, was built on. Oh, as long as you do these things, you'll be fine. So ours was actions. I'm not. I'm not going to smoke. I'm not going to drink. I'm not going to curse. I'm not going to have sex while you're married, and that makes me really good, and I can do anything else. Or uh, one thing I struggle. And then you read Job. One thing I struggle with really right now is when it comes when it comes to tithing uh, is you know there is there is especially one guy in our church who I mean makes a lot of money and he faithfully tithes ten percent and or maybe even more but he might even do more whatever it is he faithfully tithes and he believes because he does that God continually continues to bless him and if I'm looking at him I'm thinking you're absolutely right. Uh, but then you can't really preach that story because well, there's a difference, right? Between who aren't right. Well, and 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 I think it's it's good that he does that, but I think you gotta worry about like if you think you're getting God into your debt. Well, I don't right, think right. he thinks, he that, and I don't think he would ever want to share that story, or he wouldn't want to be like, well, I'm, he's not teaching it. He doesn't. I think he would just teach. The I just know him as a friend, and yeah, I know well, that's, that's right. Yeah, and and I you know, that's what I grew up with. Hey, when you you know, the widow's might, when you give, God will bring back. And, you know, life has taught me that that's not always true. Uh, but at the same time, you know, there's, there's truth. And we're like fasting. I've always, in my, in my own, there's a lot of things that I believe in my own life that I would never preach. But in my own life, I'm like, hey, when I really want something, I'm going to fast for it. And God's going to show up and give me an answer. Is that always true? I don't know. But like, and I think that, but I'm not going to tell other people that. Or, or am I wrong? Should I be like proclaiming that? I, I always, you know, my own life go back and forth. You guys want to hear my thoughts on, on, on tithing? Oh, let's hear it. I want to get, I've got this. This is actually a conversation we need to have with our church. Is, so, 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 okay. So, so I, I believe, and this is uh, partly my, my theological disposition. Not everybody would agree with this, but I, I believe in the New Testament, generosity replaces the tithe. Like instead of, instead of law, uh, you know, sort of what, what Paul, for example, in Second Corinthians, he doesn't point to the to, to the law for sure. giving. He points to Christ, right? Mm-hmm. And of course, Christ didn't tie his blood. You know, he, he gave it yeah. all. You know, that kind of thing. So, I think our measure for generosity 
is is Jesus, you yeah. know. Um, but that said, the tithe is still beautiful and also a really functionally useful definition for what generosity is. Like it, 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 it still we're looking at Jesus, but if we if we're, if we're thinking about okay, well, what does it mean for me to be generous? Ten percent really does give you. It's a little bit like baseball, you know, like baseball ninety feet. Is perfect, right? It's it's through the way people's bodies have changed and athleticism has developed. Ninety feet is still basically the same as it was in 1890. In that, you know, a ground ball to shortstop, if you field it cleanly, it's almost impossible to be safe. Even Billy Hamilton. <laughs> but if you bobble it, it's almost impossible to be out. It's just perfect, right? Ninety feet is perfect. The the tithe. Now circling back around, the tithe ten percent is perfect in the sense of if you exclude like the really really wealthy and exclude the destitutely, you know, impoverished, almost everybody else in between, 10% is perfect in that you can't, you, almost everybody can do it. Like even if you make $30,000 a year, which is not a lot, or 25,000 or whatever, you could, you could give 10% and survive. Um, but almost nobody, again, except for the, the really, really rich, can give 10% and live at the same level that they would have otherwise. Like it really is a, a perfect yeah. measure of, it will cost me something to do this. I have to make a lifestyle adjustment to do this, and yet it's still doable. And I think there is some beauty to that. Yeah, uh, I think that's right. As a, as a um, would you say that you have a good percentage of givers in your community? I have no idea. I mean, I don't know what anybody gives. I don't see yeah, it. I don't know. I try to get away from that. But. but what we do know is that there's a few who give a lot. Yeah. Um, it's been a while since I've asked for any kind of like report on that, like even anonymously, like who, who gives how much, you know, or whatever. Uh, I know that our the biggest gifts we've ever gotten were from people who actually didn't go to church here, like came a few times and like oh. somebody gave $50,000 to help us like redo the basement. But I have no idea. Um, I'm, I mean, it, it has seemed to track well, like our... our do you mention it every Sunday? I mean, we have given as a part of our service. Would you say this uh, is the time? Yeah, so, so I'll have... So like kind of, we have a kind of an announcement time that kind of comes after like sort of the main song set mm-hmm. and before the sermon. So I'll get up and I'll say, hey, you know, take the... We do like a little contact sheets too. Like yeah. I'll say, take the, those black folders if you would and pass them down your aisles you know, if you want to get connected to the church. Oh, do you have the old like one that, that's mm-hmm. got the pad in it and it passes mm-hmm. back and forth every week? Yeah. That's yeah. awesome. And, yeah. uh, and so we, you know, we, we, we have them do that and then while they're doing that I'll say and hey, take a look in your bulletin too here's a, you know, a couple things upcoming or whatever and then I'll, then I'll basically say you know, uh, you know now's a chance for, for us to worship through giving this is you know if you're visiting here, you don't feel under any compulsion. This is for those of you who consider New City to be your church. Yeah, yeah. Uh, and then we have a blurb in the bulletin. Like probably half the people give online, you know. Like so, mm-hmm. there's a little bit. But I don't even say that. I'll just say. And so we're going to sing another song, but let's remain seated while we do so. You know, and then usher the basket or whatever. But I think just having it there probably does yield attention to giving. Yeah. You know, as opposed to. So we really. I think we asked the question early on, do we even want to have it be a part of the service? Mm-hmm. And, you know, it allows for a few things. One, to just mention it, like, or it's a reminder, you know, that this is part of being in the community. Yeah. 
But then two, I mean, even just functionally in the service, like, oh, here's one song where we don't stand. It can be a more sort of meditative, reflective, yeah. you know, thing that kind of gets you ready for the sermon too. So We've always tied ours with communion just um, pragmatically. So we have an offering basket in the front and people are coming to take communion mm-hmm. in the front at the same time. So it just made sense. I actually think that's more historical probably. Yeah. Because they used to tie, at least in the old uh, Presbyterian liturgies, the... Uh, alms for the poor was tied to communion like oh we're receiving from God now this is the time you know to, to give so there is some real yeah. historical present for that and so but it's I, I'm i more comfortable just being awkward so I'll just say hey this is time to communion and offerings and act of worship like you've had a you show or you don't like to force through that yeah, awkwardness you don't normally do that I forget most of the time yeah we just, yeah, we just got in the rhythm of. I think probably I don't. I don't know if it was a time of critical reflection, but it, yeah. I mean, our, that's the way our planting church did. Well, we just got uh, people a lot of feedback because we always did whichever one of us was preaching, the other one would come and do like the communion meditation. That's just we just did that naturally. Uh, but we had people be like, "Did that work for you guys?" Uh, I've always found just the opposite because what I felt like. If you're the guy who just preached, you're more likely to be brief with the community meditation. Well, that's exactly <laughs> that's right. So for nine, eight years, we did it that way. And then people have been like, do we need sermon two? That's what they call it, sermon two. <laughs> Jared in the background would be like, oh, you're sermon two. Um, because, yeah, because the other one hadn't said anything, and, you know, you're thinking of a story, you're thinking of a, you know. And you get a weekly community, right? Yeah. Yeah, yeah it's weird. Uh, uh, you know, and so I always have... I didn't mean to jump on your No, you're fine. We stopped doing this. But I'm supposed to be the, the guest, right? So I yeah, can talk to you. Want uh, to say what you want. The, uh, because we do it, we, at Planting Church, we used to do it once a month. And, and uh, so that I think they did a longer explanation. But because we do it weekly now, and I guess there's new people there or whatever, but I, I don't feel the need to say a ton, you know? So yeah. a lot of times it's like a one sentence transition right. from. Do they serve intention? Mm hmm. We had, some, we had somebody swear up and down that she got a urinary tract infection from doing a tincture. She was, one, she was, one of our she was furious. Furious. Um, and about this. I'm like, I don't, I don't guess how that works. <laughs> I, mean, I don't know. I don't know. But, but the, uh, yeah. Now you should have like a disclaimer. <laughs> you may get you so, Yeah, that's what we have to do every week though is explain like, okay, we need you to come to center aisles, take it and go that way. It's more actually like explaining. And we can fly to send it. Yeah, we do that. This, maybe not at this point. Like, even if we just said to people who are there every week, hey, would right. you come up and be the first one to come and take communion during yeah. the song? I, what I would like to see is our worship leader just do it as part of the song. Yeah. Because that kind of happened this week, right? Yeah, Stephanie kind of did that this week. I mean, I do read, I, I do read the words of institution, mm-hmm. you know, like a, just some, you know, either from Matthew or, or from First Corinthians. Like, I'll, 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 I will read that. But usually it'll be like, I'll finish the sermon. Sometimes at the very end of the sermon, I'll say, and that's why we come to the Lord's Day which week. But, right. but we usually will have a song, and so and I'll be like, let's sing this as we prepare to come to the table or whatever. And then I usually hop back up, and if I said something at the end, I don't even say anything. I'm just starting to be like, Lord Jesus, and then like he was betrayed, you know, and then do it, and then say, come as you're ready or whatever. Yeah. Yeah. And you have it written on your table. Yeah, there it is. I can just I, it was real hard to transition out of this last sermon series and be like, yeah, David falling alive, blah, blah, blah. Okay, and you know this story really. <laughs> Jesus knew this story, and you know it was it was real hard to transition. All right, I know that you have to go, so we should probably end. Uh, but you should check out New City Presbyterian Church. You motherfuckers need Jesus.